Chapter Thirty Two of Marriage, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage, Volume One by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter Thirty Two. Her native sense improved by reading, her native sweetness by good breeding. During their progress through the highlands, the travellers were hospitably entertained at the mansions of the country gentlemen, where old-fashioned courtesy and modern comfort combined to cheer the stranger guest. But upon coming out, as it is significantly expressed by the natives of these mountain regions, viz. entering the low country, they found they had only made a change of difficulties. In the highlands they were always sure that wherever there was a house, that house would be to them a home. But on a fair day in the little town of G, they found themselves in the midst of houses and surrounded by people, yet unable to procure rest or shelter. At the only inn the place afforded, they were informed, the horses were both out, and the lodging ah tain up, and mar too, while the driver asserted what indeed was apparent, that its beasts were nay fit to gang the length of their tay farer, nor for the king himself. At this moment a stout, florid, good-humoured-looking man passed, whistling Roy's wife with all his heart, and just as Mr. Douglas was stepping out of the carriage to try what could be done, the same person, evidently attracted by curiosity, repassed, changing his tune, to theirs called Kale and Alberdeen. He started at the sight of Mr. Douglas, then, eagerly grasping his hand, "'Ah, Archie Douglas, is this you?' exclaimed he, with a loud laugh and hearty shake. "'What? You haven't forgot your old schoolfellow, Bob Guffaw?' A mutual recognition now took place, and much pleasure was manifested on both sides at this unexpected recontour. No time was allowed to explain their embarrassments, for Mr. Guffaw had already tipped the postboy the wink, which he seemed easily to comprehend and forcing Mr. Douglas to resume his seat in the carriage, he jumped in himself. "'Now for Howfend and Mrs. Guffaw. Ha, ha, ha! This will be a surprise upon her. She thinks I'm in my barn all this time. Ha, ha, ha!' Mr. Douglas here began to express his astonishment at his friend's precipitation, and his apprehensions as to the trouble they might occasion Mrs. Guffaw. But bursts of laughter and broken expressions of delight were the only replies he could procure from his friend. After jolting over half a mile of very bad road, the carriage stopped at a mean, vulgar-looking mansion with dirty windows, ruinous thatched offices, and broken fences. Such was the picture of still life. That of animated nature was not less picturesque. Cows bellowed, and cart-horses neighed, and pigs grunted, and geese gabbled, and ducks quacked, and cocks and hens flapped and fluttered promiscuously as they mingled in a sort of yard divided from the house by a low dyke, possessing the accommodation of a crazy gate, which was bestrode by a parcel of bare-legged boys. "'What are you about, you confounded rascals?' called Mr. Guffaw to them. "'Nothing,' answered one. "'We're just taking a heise on the yet,' answered another. "'I'll heise ye, ye scoundrels!' exclaimed the incensed Mr. Guffaw, as he burst from the carriage, and, snatching the driver's whip from his hand, flew after the more nimble-footed culprits. 
finding his efforts to overtake them in vain he turned to the door of his mansion where stood his guests waiting to be ushered in he opened the door himself and led the way to a parlour which was quite of a piece with the exterior of the dwelling a dim dusty table stood in the middle of the floor heaped with a variety of heterogeneous articles of dress an exceeding dirty volume of a novel lay open amongst them the floor was littered with shapings of flannel and shreds of gauzes ribbons etc the fire was almost out and the hearth was covered with ashes after insisting upon his guest being seated mr gawffaw walked into the door of the apartment and hallooed out mrs gawffaw ho may my dear i say mrs gawffaw a low croaking querulous voice was now heard in reply for heaven's sake mr gawffaw make less noise for god's sake have mercy on the walls of your house if you've none on my poor head and thereupon entered mrs gawffaw a cap in one hand which she appeared to have been tying on a smelling-bottle in the other she possessed a considerable share of insipid and somewhat faded beauty but disguised by a tawdry trumpery style of dress and rendered almost disgusting by the air of affectation folly and peevishness that overspread her whole person and deportment she testified the utmost surprise and coldness at sight of her guests and as she entered mr gawffaw rushed out having decried something passing in the yard that called for his interposition mr douglas was therefore under the necessity of introducing himself and mary to their ungracious hostess briefly stating the circumstances that had led them to be her guests and dwelling with much warmth on the kindness and hospitality of her husband in having relieved them from their embarrassment a gracious smile or what was intended as such beamed over mrs gawffaw's face at the first mention of their names excuse me mr douglas said she making a profound reverence to him and another to mary while she waved her hand for them to be seated excuse me miss douglas but situated as i am i find it necessary to be very distant to mr gawffaw's friends sometimes he is a thoughtless man mr douglas a very thoughtless man he makes a perfect inn of his house he never lies out of the town trying who he can pick up and bring home with him it is seldom i am so fortunate as to see such guests as mr and miss douglas of glenfern castle in my house with an elegant bow to each which of course was duly returned but mr gawffaw would have shown more consideration both for you and me had he apprised me of the honour of your visit instead of bringing you here in this ill-bred unceremonious manner as for me i am too well accustomed to him to be hurt at these things now he has kept me in hot water i may say since the day i married him in spite of the conciliatory manner in which this agreeable address was made mr douglas felt considerably disconcerted and again renewed his apologies adding something about hopes of being able to proceed make no apologies my dear sir said the lady with what she deemed a most bewitching manner it affords me the greatest pleasure to see any of your family under my roof i meant no reflection on you it is entirely mr gawffaw that is to blame in not having apprised me of the honour of this visit that i might not have been caught in this dishevel but i was really so engaged by my studies pointing to the dirty novel that i was quite unconscious of the lapse of time the guests felt more and more at a loss what to say but the lady was at none seeing mr douglas still standing with his hat in his hand and his eye directed towards the door she resumed her discourse pray be seated mr douglas 
I beg you will sit off the door. Miss Douglas, I entreat you will walk into the fire. I hope you will consider yourself as quite at home. Another elegant bend to each. I only regret that Mr. Galfaw's folly and ill-breeding should have brought you into this disagreeable situation, Mr. Douglas. He is a well-meaning man, Mr. Douglas, and a good-hearted man. But he is very deficient in other respects, Mr. Douglas. Mr. Douglas, happy to find anything to which he could assent, warmly joined in the eulogium on the excellence of his friend's heart. It did not appear, however, to give the satisfaction he expected. The lady resumed with a sigh. Nobody can know Mr. Gaffar's heart better than I do, Mr. Douglas. It is a good one, but it is far from being an elegant one. It is one in which I find no congeniality of sentiment with my own. Indeed, Mr. Gaffar is no companion for me, nor I for him, Mr. Douglas. He is never happy in my society, and I really believe he would rather sit down with the tinklers on the roadside as spend a day in my company. A deep sigh followed, but its pathos was drowned in the obstreperous ha-ha-ha of her joyous helpmate as he bounced into the room, wiping his forehead. Why, May, my dear, what have you been to-day? Things have been all going to the deuce. Why didn't you hinder these boys from swinging the gate off its hinges, and me hinder boys from swinging the gate, Mr. Guffaw? Do I look as if I was capable of hindering boys from swinging gates, Miss Douglas? Well, my dear, you ought to look after your pigs a little better. That jade black Jess has trod a parcel of them to death. Ha, ha, ha. And me look after pigs, Mr. Gaffaw? I am really astonished at you, again interrupted the lady, turning pale with vexation. Then, with an affected giggle, appealing to Mary, I leave you to judge, Miss Douglas, if I look like a person made for running after pigs. Indeed, thought Mary. You don't look like as if you could do anything half so useful. Well, never mind the pigs, my dear. Only don't give us any of them for dinner. Ha, ha, ha. And May, when will you let us have it? Me let you have it, Mr. Guffaw. I'm sure I don't hinder you from having it when you please, only you know I prefer late hours myself. I was always accustomed to them in my poor father's lifetime. He never dined before four o'clock, and I seldom knew what it was to be in my bed before twelve o'clock at night, Miss Douglas, till I married Mr. Guffaw. Mary tried to look sorrowful, to hide the smile that was dimpling her cheek. Come, let us have something to eat in the meantime, my dear. I'm sure you may eat the house if you please, for me, Mr. Guffaw. What would you take, Miss Douglas? But pull the bell. Softly, Mr. Guffaw. You do everything so violently. A dirty maid servant with bare feet answered the summons. Where's Tom? demanded the lady, well knowing that Tom was afar off at some of the farm operations. I ken nae where he is. He'll be either at the patatees or the horses, I's warren. Div ye want him? Bring some glasses, said her mistress, with an air of great dignity. Mr. Guffaw, you must see about the wine yourself, since you have sent Tom out of the way. Mr. Guffaw and his handmaid were soon heard in an adjoining closet, the one wondering where the screw was, the other vociferating for a knife to cut the bread, while the mistress of this well-regulated mansion sought to divert her guests' attention from what was passing by entertaining them with complaints of Mr. Guffaw's noise and her maid's insolence, till the parties appeared to speak for themselves. After being refreshed with some very bad wine and old baked bread, the gentlemen set off on a survey of the farm, and the ladies repaired to their toilettes. Mary's simple dress was quickly adjusted, 
and upon descending she found her uncle alone in what mrs guffaw had shown to her as the drawing-room he guessed her curiosity to know something of her hosts and therefore briefly informed her that mrs guffaw was the daughter of a trader in some manufacturing town who had lived in opulence and died insolvent during his life his daughter had eloped with bob guffaw then a gay lieutenant in a marching regiment who had been esteemed a very lucky fellow in getting the pretty miss croker with the prospect of ten thousand pounds none thought more highly of her husband's good fortune than the lady herself and though her fortune never was realized she gave herself all the airs of having been the making of his at this time mr guffaw was a reduced lieutenant living upon a small paternal property which he pretended to farm but the habits of a military life joined to a naturally social disposition were rather inimical to the pursuits of agriculture and most of his time was spent in loitering about the village of g where he generally continued either to pick up a guest or procure a dinner mrs guffaw despised her husband had weak nerves and headaches was above managing her house read novels dyed ribbons and altered her gowns according to every pattern she could see or hear of such were mr and mrs guffaw one of the many ill-assorted couples in this world joined not matched a sensible man would have curbed her folly and peevishness a good-tempered woman would have made his home comfortable and rendered him more domestic the dinner was such as might have been expected from the previous specimens bad of its kind cold ill-dressed and slovenly sat down but mrs guffaw seemed satisfied with herself and it this is very fine mutton mr douglas and not underdone to most people's tastes and this fowl i have no doubt will eat well miss douglas though it is not so white as some i have seen the fowl my dear looks as if it had been the great-grandmother of this sheep ha 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 for heaven's sake mr guffaw make less noise or my head will split in a thousand pieces putting her hands to it as if to hold the frail tenement together this was always her refuge when at a loss for a reply a very ill-concocted pudding next called forth her approbation this pudding should be good for it is the same i used to be so partial to in my poor father's lifetime when i was used to every delicacy miss douglas that money could purchase but you thought me the greatest delicacy of all my dear ha 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 for you left all your other delicacies for me ha 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 what do you say to that may ha 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 may's reply consisted in putting her hands to her head with an air of inexpressible vexation and finding all her endeavours to be elegant frustrated by the overpowering vulgarity of her husband she remained silent during the remainder of the repast solacing herself with complacent glances at her yellow silk gown and adjusting the gold chains and necklaces that adorned her bosom poor mary was doomed to a tete-a-tete with her during the whole evening for mr guffaw was too happy with his friend and without his wife to quit the dining-room till a late hour and then he was so much exhilarated that she could almost have joined mrs guffaw in her exclamation of for heaven's sake mr guffaw have mercy on my head the night however like all other nights had a close and mrs guffaw having once more enjoyed the felicity of finding herself in company at twelve o'clock at night at length withdrew and having apologized and hoped and feared for another hour in mary's apartment she finally left her to the blessings of solitude and repose 
as mr douglas was desirous of reaching edinburgh the following day he had in spite of the urgent remonstrances of his friendly host and the elegant importunities of his lady ordered the carriage at an early hour and mary was too eager to quit halfen to keep it waiting mr gawffaw was in readiness to hand her in but fortunately mrs gawffaw's head did not permit of her rising with much the same hearty laugh that had welcomed their meeting honest gawffaw now saluted the departure of his friend and as he went whistling over his gate he ruminated sweet and bitter thoughts as to the destinies of the day whether he should solace himself with a good dinner and the company of bailey mary at the crosskeys in g or put up with cold mutton and may at home End of chapter 32 Recording by Patty Cunningham